All right, welcome back. This is the Everything Jared Show. I am Jeremy, and we got a special guest today, uh, Caitlin Schuler. I am uh, kind of doing a new series recently. I put out a feeler on Facebook to just uh, reach out to all these people that I'm connected with, people that I've met in real life, people that I haven't, that I've just talked to on the internet. And Caitlin was um, nice enough to volunteer and come on the show. So Caitlin, thank you for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Thank you for having me. Um, so we kind of, uh, I know a little bit about you. I, I enjoy seeing a lot of your posts. You kind of have uh, some long posts that are pretty in-depth with some very uh, unique um, points of view. And then I, I feel like you always have uh, a lot of friends uh, on Facebook comment on your post and your, your comment threads are usually, uh, can be very interesting. Um, but something, something uh, that I've been interested to hear more about is uh, you have like a game house that you run. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, um, so um, for most of the pandemic, I, um, I worked on doing community houses. That would be um, my friend had a property management building that he uh, runs where he takes care of the responsibilities that um, come with uh, renting a full house, but not necessarily with just renting the room of the house mm -hmm. and um, taking profit in exchange for, you know, handling those responsibilities as he rents out the rooms. Nice. Um, and during the pandemic, uh, as people were feeling more isolated and, and whatnot and moving around and trying to find a comfortable place to shelter, um, I utilized um, his business to try to organize a, a few community houses. And I also uh, supported other community houses in the area because I was really concerned with making sure people found compatible spaces where it's like, Hey, you know, if it's somewhere where, you know, you just want to be quiet, where you want to be live in a house of like super quiet remote workers, where everybody kind of keeps to themselves and they usually like order takeout or box meals. So like nobody leaves a messy kitchen or something like that. You know, I'll help you find that house. If you want something where, you know, everybody does like yoga at 10 a.m. together, like whatever, I'll help you find that house too. Um, so I was doing that for a while, but um a couple of years beforehand, well before the pandemic, I'd always had this idea of having a game house just because, uh, you know, there, there's like some social um, scene gaps, I think, in the market. And I personally used to work for a casino. Um, I used to be a pit boss. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. Um, where, where, what uh, casino or where, what state were you in? Casino Matrix. Uh, Previously, uh, before that, I was uh, for Garden City Casino. Nice. Um, so um, kind of separate, but separate casinos, but same owners. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, well, before that, I was a professional gamer, like playing video games. No way. So, no, what, uh, what, what games? Were you like, were you professional in? Uh, the only the only one that I've ever played like actually professional is like made like actual profit, like can could support myself and like live, mm -hmm. uh, would be Halo Three. Nice. Um, I would awesome. go to MTG tournaments and have my butt absolutely handed to me. And yeah. I never got sponsored, and that's where like the real money is is in getting sponsored. So like right. if Doritos or Mountain Dew 
decides to like pay you to go to these tournaments and like wear their gear and wants to like put you on the merchandise and has like booth babes and booths there where they're giving out and crap has your face on it and all that. Um, so I never, I was never like doing it on that level and making that money. And this was also well before the Twitch days where you like was, made money off say, of yeah. that. Huh? I was going to say, were you Twitching or was it before Twitch? Yeah, that's, that's so it was, so it was, it was a Twitch thing. So how I made money was through tournaments. So huh. just basically just, just winning. Um, and it's, it's very small scale. Um, I didn't have a lot of expenses at the time. So um, to say that it was enough to sustain me, like I could live off of it, um, sounds very generous, but yeah. it's, it's, it's more modest than it sounds just because I was um, a young adult and I was living very frugally and, you know, minding my expenses. But yeah, uh, so I'd go to local tournaments like at GameStops and other places. And sometimes there are cash prizes. Sometimes they're, uh, they would give a good amount of merchandise and I could just uh, flip the value of the merchandise, but I put, put it on the table for me when I was a young adult. Nice. Did, uh, um, curious, just little side question. Was gaming as fun when you kind of had to do it for money or did it lose a little bit of its um, amusement? So um, it's kind of a funny question to ask just because very quickly did I decide to monetize off of it. I wasn't a gamer growing up as a kid. Right. Um, I mean, I got my hands on my cousin's, um, you know, video games every once in a while. I would be able to play with them. I was pretty good. Um, and, you know, he was like an older boy, but I would still beat him. And I don't huh. think I conceptualized how I was, I was too fixated on that. Like, oh, I, I beat a bigger kid in, in like a boy. Mm -hmm. And it's it's silly for me to have been impressed with that thing that I, I think I should have been impressed with was this person is addicted to this video game and plays it all the time. Mm -hmm. And I can pick it up after a short amount of time and beat him at it. Yeah, that didn't quite click with me. Um, so I, um, yeah, uh, but I never really owned one myself, like growing up and I wasn't really a gamer then. Um, but after I became independent, uh, I, you know, I, I got exposed to, uh, like more video game culture through a boyfriend and mm -hmm. I, I kind of stayed back from it for, for a little while because I didn't want to like tread on male space and I wanted him to have his guy time and even though he was quite encouraging I, I had reservation but then I just picked it up and it was just like a duck to water especially since I had been paying attention so I was able to do a lot of call outs all right so I was able to be like you know I, I was able to like be over at garden guardian and be like oh um you know you know they're you know he's one shot over at yellow two or something like that and for somebody to just already just start the game and be able to know the call outs was pretty funny yeah you know so it just so I was always kind of like a wonky player where I had like extreme strengths but also extreme weaknesses because how I how it is that I got there was always strange but right. yeah gaming's always been a part of my life um as an adult and it didn't take long for me to just decide like I can figure out how to get paid at this I I, I like I like working on the economics of making things self-sustainable. Right. Like, um, I think around the same time, I was also a little while after I, I started doing professional um, gaming, as in like Halo, um, I also was playing this uh, MMORPG called Gaia Online. Mm. Um, it's kind of like hard to explain 
what the game is because um, there's like a lot of different facets about it but it has its own economy um, and you know there are people that get really addicted to it to where if you know if you're grinding and you you collect a lot of something or this and that or what have you um, you're able to sell and trade for like real life money Interesting. so and, I ended up doing a little bit of that on the side too so I've and, just kind of always had a mind for learning how to make money at playing games when when was um that game Gaia around I feel like that sounds kind of like the beginnings of um of Bitcoin wasn't like a Mount Gox a, a gaming kind of exchange at first and then kind of pivoted to to Bitcoin are you familiar with that um I would I would definitely say that games like this uh were like the kind of precursor to things like cryptocurrency and Bitcoin mm -hmm. um, just because like, you know, there it's like digital economic function and right. we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't know what we need to know about digital currency to have been able to create cryptocurrency if it weren't for games like this. Right. Um, I, I, I believe I was playing this game uh, a bit before cryptocurrency had been developed. Hmm. I mean, there might have been people who were working on it at the time and people talking about how it's on the horizon. Uh, I think I, I think it was probably around the time when people started working on blockchain a little bit more, but before cryptocurrency. Interesting, um, cool. So I think that would be back in 2009. Yeah, that sounds about right for as yeah. far as right before Bitcoin really started yeah yeah right before that was a thing um so i've just i've always had a, a mind uh for you know profiting off of games Oops, are you <laughs> um, all right yeah, yeah yeah i just accidentally tipped something over but it, it was nothing fragile no biggie nice. um yeah uh but the funny thing is is that i've personally i have never gambled no way why so is even that? Though I have had a full life of uh, monetizing and, um, you know, my career living off of um, games in different ways. Uh, I, I've never gambled. And a part of that is just I am protecting my dopamine. I was going to say, I, I feel like um, there's a couple of things that um, you kind of touched upon as you've been talking that I feel like I've heard you talk about before. Um, dopamine like addiction with dopamine um and then a little bit actually it's, it might be a little bit of a stretch but you were saying how um like your boyfriend was playing video games and you kind of wanted to give uh like him his his boy time I feel like I've I've definitely seen you comment a bit on like gender roles a bit am I right on oh, that or? yeah yeah and I think um I think most of the other in interviews that I've done in the past have largely um, revolved around um, my stance when it comes to uh, anti-feminism and uh, men's rights, uh, traditionalism, gender roles, uh, evolutionary psychology, quote unquote, red pill, that milieu. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's that's one that I talked about a little bit more. Um, what would what would you um? Uh, enjoy talking about more uh, dopamine addiction and staying away from dopamine a bit or gender roles because I'm kind of interested to hear your take on either of those well the the dopamine thing is is, is pretty brief so right. 
I can just wrap that up and then you can ask me uh, about gender roles after I wrap that up. Perfect. Um, so I, I basically, um, I, I'm very conscientious about um, how I'm going to enjoy life and how life in large is a chemical experience. I've always had more or less a, a reverence for this. And I think it's because my family has always had a very strong dialogue around brain chemistry. Mm. Um, you, know, you know, different family members who have had um, addictions, different you know, family members who have had depression, different family members who have had other health issues or, or tendencies and you know, different what makeups. Uh, fortunately, my family has a really strong dialogue around um, brain chemistry. So uh, I, I've always been very conscientious about that and I remember uh, Ritalin and um, other amphetamines, pharmaceutical amphetamines being pushed on me when I was a kid because they tried to diagnose me with attention deficit disorder. I just, I hate being sedentary. I can't stand to be still for too long. I just need to like, even if it's just standing up and just kind of rocking or pacing or something, it just, it physically doesn't feel good to be sedentary. So unfortunately I was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder and I really, really hated my response to amphetamines. So I think it, it gave me a, a little bit of a greater awareness of what dopamine was at a younger age. Cause I was like, what the f is this? I don't like this. Yeah. Um, and so I have the tendency to be very passive with things that afford dopamine um, very, very moderate. Um, and some things I even, I abstain from, like if, if something's completely unnecessary, I'm just not a dopamine junkie. I know a lot of people nowadays are, especially with, um, pharmaceutical amphetamines becoming a lot more popular and normalized, Definitely. but personally for me, it's not my taste. And I think it's important for people to understand what, uh, hormonal cocktail, what their, what brain chemistry is a, a happy place for them in life um because I, I think that really answers a lot of questions for a person yeah I, I would agree do you um do you have to do other things to I guess um you like to be active and moving around uh, do you ever have to like not be active and moving around where you have to do something to kind of focus or are you able to focus um regardless Oh, oh, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at being focused. Um, I'm just better at doing tasks that are permissive with me to, to you know, have some moving around. Mm -hmm. um, I can Thanks do so. like some tedious, obsessive things like organizing. But um, when it's things like that, I'll tend to multitask a little bit more because it physically doesn't feel good to be like crouched or too locked in like, to a, a stationary position for too long. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't really have a, a focus problem cognitively. Um, and I actually have a lot of initiative when it comes to like being able to get things done, keeping things organized. My organization skills are, are actually pretty phenomenal. I have, mm. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so, so it, it, it is funny to have received the diagnosis of attention deficit disorder. Um, yeah, 
I mean, I think it's pretty over-diagnosed um, in America these days. I think like if there's a kid under five who uh, gets up from being seated, I feel like doctors are quick to just go, oh, it's ADD. Um, I'm a teacher and I feel like half of my students are uh, diagnosed ADD and um, I don't think half of them actually have ADD. They just have parents who kind of want to try and calm them down with pills instead of uh, well, like- Okay, so them. here's the thing. Um, I think that there's a lot of really strange dialogue around attention deficit disorder. Um, it's something that I, I've read on for quite some time. And I think the important thing that to correct that a lot of people are confused about is that attention deficit disorder is not an actual thing. And what I mean by that is that it's not a gene. It's not a, like, it, it's, it's not, it doesn't have a singular medical, biological, whatever cause. Like hmm. it's it's a list of symptoms, characteristics, what have you. And when you know you see that grouping and that pattern, um, Western medicine has uh, certain practices on on how to address this quote unquote disorder. It's just a disorder. Like, oh, this isn't working. How do we how do we change this? How do we make this actually? How do we make this work for this person? Because this person is explaining this disorder within themselves, this thing that isn't working, and how do we fix it? And and we have several approaches on how to how to deal with that. And that's that's how that language is you know exists. Is that you know it's just a categorization regarding addressing those problems. It is not in itself a singular problem. Yeah, interesting. So I guess like it is kind of subjective then of diagnosing. It's kind of up to yeah. discretion a little bit. Yeah, which is why they also kind of come up with things like, uh, uh, you know, there's like the book um, called the, the Six Types of uh, ADD, where, you know, they do different categories. The type that I was um, diagnosed with was ADD type three, sometimes called anti-ADD or um, obsessive ADD, which is basically uh, also known as over-focused ADD. So mm. I don't get distracted, I get too focused. If anything, I have a hard time getting down a project. Interesting, I never I never actually knew um, of all the six different types. Um, I'm gonna have to look into that. It's, um, it's a pretty good book. Nice, but um, what's it called? I um, usually have like about half hour. So we have about like 10 minutes left. I kind of want to hear a little bit about um, your views on gender roles. Um, oh, I know you're a little bit passionate about that or you've spoken on it before. So you say you're anti-feminist. What does that mean exactly? Um, you know, it's funny because um, I kind of identified with that uh, more historically in the past. Um, but now it's kind of, it feels more like a vulgar term than uh, a literal term for me because there are some policies and political attitudes that I have that I think could technically be classified as quote unquote feminist, even though they're not um, necessarily mainstream feminist attitudes, but just based off of how they're constructed, I think they could be um, considered feminism. Right. I think it's important for us to understand that feminism isn't intrinsically um, 
what is um, institutionalized, the things that are, you know, not necessarily the things that are being implemented. So, for example, um, female suffrage or, um, you know, uh 1994 was the was the year that in the united states as a federal policy it became illegal um completely for um female genital mutilation so hmm. like no state is allowed to legally allow a child to um have their vagina um circumcised or mutilated interesting i didn't uh, know that so I, I would say that it, it's not just a, a policy thing, but just, you know, uh, not, not, not just policies that are passed, but like a person's own individual attitudes regarding policies. So it could be just like philosophies in certain groups and individuals. Um, but when I say or have said that I'm an anti-feminist, what I mean is that relative to what mainstream feminism looks like now i disagree with them i disagree regarding what their diagnosis is um, um of a lot of problems and even the ones that i agree with them on i tend to disagree with them regarding the solution to the problems so what's what's one of the biggest things you disagree with on like the mainstream feminist movement uh let's see so um they 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 recently pushed to have uh, and by recently i mean uh, like several years ago they mm -hmm. pushed to have the legal definition of rape changed um and i understand that maybe it needed to be updated but i don't like how it was updated and the way it was updated where um is that it specifically covers um forcibly penetrated but it does not cover um, made to penetrate anymore. So right now, uh, relative to the male physical anatomy, if say a, a man was like intoxicated or uh, you know inebriated and I could overpower him, or let's just say I'm like a hulky enough woman where I could actually physically overpower this man, um, if I get him physically aroused to an erection and I impale myself against his will, his consent, that does not meet the te technical definition of rape anymore. No way. I never knew that. Yeah, and that's something that I take issue with. Yeah, it's uh, I got I gotta think about that more, not just in real time. That's um super interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, yes, I guess what uh, hmm, what's um, the feminist movement is uh in agreement with that. Uh, they are the ones who had the definition, uh, right. the legal definition changed to what it is now. Yeah, that's so, uh, you can that's a generalization bizarre. and say that everyone who necessarily identifies as feminist is going to agree with that because the, the feminism it, that is institutionalized doesn't necessarily represent every feminist or represent um, the majority of those who identify as feminist. Right. Um, so it's, it's tricky to have a conversation when, you know, you're taking opposition to it. So when I say that I'm an anti-feminist, I'm usually referring to, um, I am opposed to the mainstream feminist narrative that has been implemented, 
in my lifetime regarding um, institutionalized feminism. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So mm -hmm. what's, um, what's something that you would uh, change, I guess, what's one of the first things you would change if you were in kind of, kind of in charge? Um, uh, I mean, would you change that it, rule? Would, would that be one of the first things is changing that rule? Or would you, um, yeah, what would you kind of promote? Um, I mean, I mean, the first thing that hops out to me, I don't necessarily know if this answers your question. But the first mm -hmm. thing that hops out to me is that I am against um, uh, male genital mutilation. So I'm against um, circumcising uh, a healthy infant boy against his consent. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's nice. I don't think it's um, humane. I think it's pretty terrible. Yeah, no, so, it, uh, that's, it, that's it does seem, seem like a pretty weird thing that we do uh, just because it says it in this really old book. Um, I definitely, uh, it's interesting that it hasn't kind of been, um, debated more than it has. Well, we actually don't do it because it's in quote unquote, in some book, uh, mm -hmm. because well, that's, how, that's how it started, right? It's not, uh, yeah, yeah. So I think that's how it mostly how culturally it has been carried on through tradition in most cases is, mm -hmm. um, that it's. You know, it's been uh, a religious policy and that's been a tradition that's been carried through religion. But the reason why we're doing it here now um, mm -hmm. in the United States is because of Dr. Kellogg. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, I think he was like mostly a doctor uh, in like the 1920s, maybe a little bit beforehand also. Um, but he had really strong puritanical beliefs and um, I think I think that was around the time that also other people were kind of taking some stronger puritanical beliefs. He did a lot of preaching on how to get people to be more productive, pure, um, and masturbate less. So, as a doctor, he prescribed this um, as a means to uh, promote a healthy lifestyle that. Um, you know, of, of no masturbation, because there were some attitudes that things like syphilis were caused by uh, masturbation, you know, you were made sick from from touching yourself, you know, Christian science was like a little bit more popular. Yeah, wow. That's, um, so I'm learning so much thing in our culture that it. is really popular. And it's actually from Christian science. That's crazy. I, um, yeah, I'm learning a lot from you, Caitlin, I definitely, um, I have like six things that I'm writing down right now that I have to research after this and kind of um, dive deeper into because a lot of this I was definitely unaware of. Um, pretty fascinating. Oh, yeah, how do, sure. How do you uh, how do you know so much? Do you just read all the time? Do you just naturally yeah. remember a lot or both? Both. Um, and what, I guess I'm gonna kind of be wrapping it up in the next couple of minutes. Um, what are some things that you're like passionate and learning about now that you're trying to? To research more and, and learn about or do you already know a little bit of everything <laughs> uh let's see um one thing that i've been looking into is uh the condition of the um the the concept of skinny pill mm. um it's it so there are a couple of subjects that i pop in on every once in a while i can't it's a little too tedious to follow them continually so I kind of go on a cycle where I check in and see what updates have happened 
on certain things like one is cryonics um like cryogenic research um and lately i've been doing my homework on um what's uh what's the condition of progress for the quote-unquote fat pill that allows people to to help not gain excess weight to to you know to manage it what now we would consider to be an evolutionary flaw. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes you passionate about that? Um, I know that I personally, um, I don't care to be overweight. I like to have a, a certain uh, body composition. I like a little bit of fat, a little bit of muscle, a little bit of bone. Like I, I like, I like <laughs> feeling like a jungle cat, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't like feeling weighed down. I like too much friction or things rubbing together so it's just you know my own personal interest on like how to manage what is physically comfortable for me but I also know that like there are a lot of people who have a really hard time Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of misinformation out there where you know it requires um a higher than average uh science literacy to be able to figure out which thing you know you know, which, what information is outdated that's still floating around and what information is good. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, like, for example, one of the greatest examples of this is that there's still people that have misconceptions regarding cholesterol. Right, that there's good cholesterol. Uh, That's the misconception. Oh, no (laughs) way. I I was giving the example of the misconception. (laughs) No, uh... no, no, no. So, So first off, the thing that uh, you know, the thing that people refer to as good cholesterol, that's the only thing that's actually cholesterol. Hmm. The thing What's that people uh, refer to as bad cholesterol is not technically even cholesterol. HDL, it is your body's means of transporting cholesterol. Hmm. So. But, when- uh, when people take cholesterol uh, like medication, is that just to help the, the transporting of cholesterol then? It's not really for the um, cholesterol? It is solving a symptom to the problem instead of solving the problem. Uh, like most medications. Yes. Hmm. So when your HDL is elevated, that's the thing that they talk about that's bad. Like, oh my God, you know, your, your, your cholesterol is really high. When they talk about that, like it's a bad thing. They're talking mm. about your HDL, the quote unquote bad cholesterol that isn't actually cholesterol. Um, wow. And the reason why that can be high or spiked at certain times is that um, your HDL has more than one responsibility, or at least it's utilized in more than one way. It's not just utilized to transport cholesterol, which is really, really good for you um, mm. in imperative for cell repair. Um, absolutely imperative for cell repair, but rather um, HDL is also used to, to manage things like take care of like free radicals. Mm. So like when you have like bad things going on in your system or so like if your stress is really, really high or um, that can cause a temporary spike in your um, HDL because you know your, your, your body just responds to the stress and what have you. Mm. Um, your HDL can also be spiked up really high if you say have leaky gut syndrome. Mm. And even though we tell people to do things like 
um, or at least we used to, we used to tell people to have margarine to uh, manage their cholesterol because your cholesterol is too high and there's no cholesterol in this margarine. Well, the margarine has hydrogenated oils. People have adverse reactions to that. It mm. has the tendency to uh, cause people to have uh, leaky gut syndrome and that will cause their, uh, their free radicals to go up. So over time, it actually causes more problems. Hmm. Interesting. I feel like um, I feel like everything there's uh there's side effects that people don't really mention. Like I uh, I heard someone discussing yesterday that like coffee was good for you because it does X Y Z, but someone mm -hmm. else was saying coffee was bad for you because it does X Y Z. And it's a uh, there's a lot well, of things like say, but yeah, exactly. Altruism is bullshit. There's there there is not a binary. It's that there's benefits and yeah. costs to different choices, and you know a, things are a lot of it's more unique to the person. I, a lot of it's unique to the person. I feel like uh, yeah. there's no cookie yeah. cutter healthy for everyone. It uh, mm -hmm. it, it depends a bit on on your composition. Yeah. For example, uh, you know we all know that like there are some like adverse. Uh, problems that come with drinking or excess drinking of say caffeinated beverages or alcoholic beverages but we've also seen science that is produced that says that like oh you know people experience health benefits from right. having this okay well what what are the health benefits well it has uh properties in it that increase your circulation okay mm -hmm. so there are bad things about it and there are good things about it because it increases your circulation. But here's the thing, you can also do other things to increase right. your circulation that don't have those costs. Right, exactly. So like you can decide to rationalize it that way. You're like, oh, it has some benefits. Okay, yeah. no. Other things have those benefits too, but you don't wanna do those things because those aren't fun or enjoyable. They don't get you the high, the, the, the drugs, the, the brain cocktail that you want. Yeah. Embrace the fact that your happiness in life has a certain chemistry frequency and we all have a different, you know, opinion of what that is. Right. Embrace it, own it, and try to figure out how to do it without physically killing yourself. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I saw last year, I think it was a headline floating around that like uh, wine was as good for you as going to the gym once a week. So everyone's like, oh, I'm just going to drink wine every day better than going to the gym. And it's like, there's probably one benefit that's as good, but there's 20 things that are bad for you. Um, you're just not focusing on that. Uh, oh my gosh. I could have the longest conversation with you about fetal alcohol syndrome. <laughs> uh, well, I uh, would love to hear it. I um, like, I'm not lying when I said, uh, I learned so much from you um, this last like half hour. Or so you have uh, just endless information. I, I love how specific your information is too. Like, just referring to Dr. Kellogg in the 1920s, you uh, you don't even just like say uh, stories, you literally give multiple facts about it, which um super cool, super interesting. Uh, I learned a lot and I definitely would love to uh, chat with you again. And um, I, I feel like there's 20 different things that you're kind of an expert on. We can kind of uh, just pick one and really delve into it um, next time if you're down with that. Um, well, certainly, certainly. I, I'm uh, about ready to wrap up. Is there anything you want to say to wrap up or are you all set? Any last closing thoughts? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Is there, is there any last thing that you want to ask me before we end this? 
Um, no, I had a blast, I guess. Um, what's uh, New Year's resolution for 2022? Uh, New Year's 2022. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna double my efforts when it comes to uh, physical care, um, self care. Um, you know, quaffing and, and, and stuff like that. I, I used to do a little bit more of that for myself um, mm -hmm. pre-pandemic. I kind of eased back on it because I was focusing on helping other people, helping my community um, and, and, and building. But, um, you know, I've kind of I, I, I've, uh, dilated, I think, enough and i think it's time for me to start contracting again and, and centering and focusing on myself so i think that's going to be my, my focus for 2022. i like it i will hold you accountable and make sure that you uh reach your goals um but thank you again and thank you to anyone who is listening to us uh this is the year's 2021 i'm hoping in 10 years either caitlin or i are rich and famous and we're going to look back at this episode like oh that was crazy before we were ever known um, but thanks again. Appreciate it. I'm going to stop recording now. See you guys later.